It truly is a privilege to be with you today, and I am just looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for praying for Dave Hawkins and uh, his work in Moldova. And uh, I just want to explain very, very briefly what Dave and I do. Basically, we are training nationals to reach their own countries for Christ, and we're equipping these nationals to become pastors and church leaders, and they, in turn, are reaching people that it's often, if not impossible, it's very difficult for Americans to reach them. I know when I first went to Russia 20 years ago, I had uh, the opportunity of leading and teaching 18 people to preach, and I, as they were preaching their sermons for the very first time, I was just impressed how God had multiplied me by a factor of 18 by training these nationals, and that they were going to go out and start churches and reach people I would never even meet this side of heaven. And as I was talking to one of the students after class that day, he told me, I, I said, I said, you know, I hope someday I will get to come and visit you in your home and see the church that you've planted. And he said, well, I hate to tell you this, but that won't ever be possible. I said, what? And he said, I'm from a closed city in Russia, and no one is allowed to go to that city except people who were born there. And as a foreigner, you would never be allowed to enter the city. You didn't know things like that even existed, did you? I didn't at the time, but I since learned that there are many places like that around the world. And the only way we can reach these people is often to catch them when they're out of that area, train them, and send them back. And uh, we've been able to do that with uh, people from unreached people groups, reach them for Christ, train them, and send them back, and see whole unreached people groups come to know Jesus be exposed to the gospel for the first time. So Dave is involved in doing some of that as he's training people in Moldova. Moldovans are unusual in that they have very easy access to, to Russia and to anywhere in the former Soviet Union. And also, Moldovans are invisible. You say, oh, come on. Well, not literally invisible, but they are considered... Uh, kind of a lower class. It's a, the poorest country in Eastern Europe. And people who are from Moldova, uh, oh, you're from Moldova. They're just overlooked. Nobody pays any attention to them. And because of that, Moldovans have been able to go into places in Russia and the former Soviet Union where any kind of fo other foreigner goes in there and they're just watched all the time by the FSB and no, nobody gets to do anything. But the Moldovans come in and they go, oh, it's just Moldovans. Nobody pays any attention. And they reach people for Jesus because they're so invisible. One of the problems we have as Americans as we go as missionaries is we are so visible. Everybody can tell that's an American. And that's not always bad, but sometimes it makes it difficult. So anyway, pray for Dave and pray for us as you think of us. This morning, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And we're going to look at the question, why are we still here? I know that your former pastor, Chris, and his family are headed to Bolivia. So why are you still here? What does God have for you? 
Do you ever just wonder, well, why, why did Christ not simply take us out, take us directly to heaven, take us out of all the troubles and trials and difficulties we have to face in life? Why are we still here? It seems like, you know, if I were planning this, I'd just say, well, as soon as somebody's really saved and knows about it, we just go, whoo, right on up to heaven. But that's not Christ's plan. He has, a, he has a job for us. I better set this down here because it's going to end up there anyway. Uh, when you think about this, I believe Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tells us why we're still here. It tells us that Jesus has a purpose for each of us to fulfill while we're waiting for his return. And I realize we usually think of this passage as a passage you use only when you're presenting missions or trying to stir up interest in reaching the ends of the earth. Well, certainly it does, but is that all this is about? Some say that this passage is only for church leaders, but scholars tell us that it was most likely presented to the whole group of believers, over 500 of them who saw the risen Christ, both leaders and followers, not just the 11. They were included, but it wasn't just them. So we have to conclude it was not just for those first disciples. And as we look at this passage, I think we need to ask ourselves, what does this passage say to each of us today? And as we read it, I want you to think about that. What does this passage say to you and to me today? What does it mean for those of us who are not going to Bolivia, who are not going to Russia, we're not going somewhere outside of the country right now. Some of you are going to Guatemala, it apply to you too. But what about those of us who are primarily just staying right here? What does this passage say? Look at it with me, please. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, if we analyze these two short verses, we discover that in the Greek language in which the New Testament was originally written, there's actually only one command, and it's not go. Okay, in our English Bibles, the go comes out like it sounds like it's a command too. But the actual command here is to make disciples. And this command is supported by three participles. Going, or more literally having gone, baptizing, and teaching. And these three participles help us understand what is involved in making disciples. But first we better answer the question, what do we mean by disciples? If you just define the term disciple, it most simply means a follower who is a learner. And Jesus challenged believers, those who were already following him, to count the cost and become fully committed disciples. And he said his disciples would deny themselves, take up their crosses daily, and follow him. To deny yourself means that you're not going to make your own interests or your own self the focus of everything, that you're going to put Jesus in the first place of your life, 
and you're going to be concerned about others before you're concerned about yourself. And if you think about taking up your cross daily, that simply means that you're going to make doing God's will the number one goal of your life. Think about what the cross was for Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, he went doing the Father's will. All through his life on earth, he continually told us that he came to do the Father's will, not his own will. And when we see him coming close to the cross, we find that comes out even more. In John chapter 12, verses 20 through 27, Jesus explained that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't produce a harvest. And he wasn't talking about agriculture there. He was using that as an illustration of himself, that he needed to die so that others could live. And in verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He said, you could be, I'm sure his disciples were thinking, as he kept talking about the cross, you know, what are you talking about? We would say, well, let's pray, save him from this. But he said, no, this is what I came for, to do the Father's will. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, what did he pray? He said, Lord, if there's any, any other way we can do this, <clears throat> let's do it that way. I, I want to. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So when he tells us that we need to take up our crosses daily, what he's telling us is we need that same commitment to do the Father's will every day, no matter what it costs us. And then the third element, Jesus said, of being a disciple is that you follow him. To follow is to imitate. That you imitate Jesus and you look at his life as it's recorded in the Gospels and you see a pattern that you can follow. Now that pattern doesn't save you, but once you're saved, that is a pattern for you to follow. You can live like Jesus lived and that's what he wants us to do. Now, note in our text today, that we find Jesus challenging these first disciples and us to fulfill a commission to make disciples of all the nations. Now, of all the nations in the world, where has God put you? Well, right here in the United States. And let me tell you, as somebody who's traveled to many other countries in the world, you ought to be really thankful that God put you here. This is the greatest nation in the world. There is no better. With all of our faults as a nation, with all of our shortcomings, it's still the best place in the world, and God has blessed us immensely. But you know what? God has put us here, right here in Ringgold, Georgia, and he's put us here for a purpose of making disciples. Now, how are we supposed to do that? Well, notice what he says. He starts out with this participle going or having gone. The Greek tense that's used here speaks of completed action with continuing results. That's why normally it would be translated having gone. When it's talking about making disciples, it's clear that we should, ref 
to understand this to mean that wherever you've gone, wherever you are now, that's where God wants you to make disciples. So where are you now? Well, I know right now you're in Poplar Springs Baptist Church right here in Ringgold, Georgia. So I assume that you probably live somewhere close to here and that this is where God has put you. So as far as having gone, that's already happened. You're here. This is where God has put you. Now, if God puts you in Guatemala with that team, then when you're in Guatemala, you're going to have a task there to make disciples. If God sends you to Moldova like Pastor David or to, to Bolivia like Pastor Chris, if God sends you to Russia like he did us, or any other place God sends you, wherever you are, this is to be your task. This is a commission. This is God's purpose for each of us. Now, the second participle is baptizing. And clearly this baptizing he's talking about here is water baptism. What leads people to be baptized? Well, first, we have to witness to them. You don't just go out to people and say, hey, my name's Tom Knight, would you like to be baptized? No, they look at you like you're crazy. What do you mean? We have to witness to them. We have to tell them about Jesus. First, we lead people to Jesus. We explain that we're all sinners in need of the Savior. We explain to them that that creates a big problem between us and God because the wages of sin is death. And that unless something is done about this huge problem, we're going to die, not just physically, but we're going to be separated from God forever. But the good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his unique son, Jesus, to die in our place, paying the penalty of sin for us so that we would never have to pay it ourselves. And if we, are really, if we will simply receive Jesus by believing in him, like John uh, 1.12 says, we receive eternal life as a free gift. We bring these people to the place where they are ready to profess their faith in Jesus, and that public profession takes place through baptism. Now, I know I'm not telling you anything you've never heard before, but I think you need to see how this all fits together. Baptism tells the world that you are becoming a follower of Jesus. In many places around the world, it's a really big thing to be baptized as a believer. Now here, in the buckle of the Bible belt, it may not seem like such a, a huge thing because you've got so many Christians around and it's not seen as something that's going against your upbringing. When we were in Russia, for you to be baptized as a believer meant that you were leaving the Orthodox Church. And the Orthodox Church pronounced that anybody who was baptized as a believer was no longer Russian. Orthodox faith, which is Eastern Catholicism, was so much a part of life in Russia that the Orthodox Church claimed that every Russian was actually Orthodox, even if he had never been in a church in his life. And to become an evangelical believer meant that you were denying your ethnicity as a Russian. Big deal, huh? It, it meant a lot for you to publicly proclaim your faith 
in Jesus. In many other countries of the world, it's very striking because you may be going against your upbringing, you're going against your parents, you're going against your forebears and what they stood for. And you're making a break and saying, now I believe in Jesus. It's really a big thing. As Paul puts it in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that you're confessing that Jesus is Lord, that he's the God of the Bible, and that you're trusting his death in your place to save you from your sins and guarantee a home in heaven for you. Your belief in the resurrection seals the deal, and his resurrection guarantees that you also are going to be resurrected, and in the meantime, now you have the same kind of life that God has, resurrection life, because Jesus died in your place. You see why baptism is such a fitting picture and such an important step in discipleship? The third, thing, the third participle talks about teaching, and this refers to the ongoing process of sharing with others all that we have learned about Jesus from his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we don't find the word uh, teaching. Well, we find the word teaching, but we don't find the word disciple. But Paul here is telling Timothy, his disciple, how he can reproduce other disciples. And what he tells Timothy is, the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Basically, this explains that the teaching aspect of making disciples is fulfilled when we teach others everything that we have learned from our own spiritual mentors, be that pastors or Bible teachers or whoever has taught us God's Word. So we, in turn, take what we have learned and we teach it to others. And that equips them to teach it to others and to keep passing this on and multiplying ourselves by making disciples of the nations. How much do you have to teach? Well, everything you know. It's, so I say it's an ongoing process. You start discipling and you teach people one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes in a small group, but basically you're teaching them everything that you know. Now, some of you I know are already say, thinking, making disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching would be an impossible task, at least for me. But don't forget that verse 20 adds a promise at the very end. It says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Jesus speaking, and he says, if you'll get involved in fulfilling this great commission, I promise to go with you. I will be with you the whole time that you are going, baptizing, teaching, the whole time that you're involved in this process, I will be with you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus spoke right before his ascension, and he emphasized the fact that he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Notice that it's God's Holy Spirit that empowers witnessing. It empowers us to carry out this commission. 
There are many people today who want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and, and I've had people say, well, I want power. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, you, you need to understand what the power of the Holy Spirit is for, what it's all about. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to every believer, but that's not power to jump up and down or, or roll on the ground or, or uh, speak in some foreign language. That is power to witness. That's what Acts 1.8 says. You shall receive power and be my witnesses. That's what the power is for. And uh, we need to understand that we are never alone when we're carrying out this great commission because Jesus is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. And if we will simply surrender to his control, he will empower us to witness. Now, God has called me to do this, uh, this whole process of going, baptizing, teaching, and to do it on a, a, a rather large scale, even though we're a small mission. God has called me to do this in international settings. I started out in Russia, where we lived for eight out of the first ten years of our ministry, and then we've gone to Eastern Europe, India, Africa, the Caribbean, and who knows where God's going to send us before Jesus comes. Wherever God sends us, what we're doing is challenging people to become disciples who will multiply and reach the people where God has placed them. That's what this commission is all about. Having gone wherever you are, you need to be involved in this task of making disciples. Our ministry theme verse is 2 Timothy 2.2 that I read to you, that the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I teach my disciples to make disciples in their own countries to bring about the fulfillment of Christ's great commission in that country. And God has blessed us with many who've taken up this challenge and who are doing great things for God. So far, we've trained almost 1,500 disciples, and they have planted nearly 500 new churches in the last 20 years. And we're just praising God for the difference that they're making, and they're impacting whole cultures. Some of them came from unreached people groups that now have five and six churches and that are growing. Some of them have had great visions I'm right now, what I mean for that is they have a vision for reaching many people. One of my disciples, when he graduated from our Bible college in Russia, he said, I have a vision to reach every single person in Kalmykia, the Republic of Kalmykia. 350,000 people, all Buddhist, and part of Russia, but still a separate republic. And God has given him the the joy of seeing thousands of those people come to Jesus. When he came to our Bible school, he was one of the few believers. There were less than 100 in the whole country. And now there are thousands, very much attributed to his making disciples who made disciples in ongoing. So today, I'm challenging you to think in terms of doing the same thing right here in Ringgold, Georgia. Right here in Ringo, you say, well, this is the buckle of the Bible belt. Everybody here has already heard about Jesus. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. But many of them 
have never heard in a way that they've understood their need and really understood that the gospel is all about them. You know what happens in places like this where there's a whole lot of gospel that's gone out? I was actually uh, talking to some people in Poland where their background was Roman Catholicism. But even in that, they were taught that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And when I got through explaining a passage from 1 Corinthians to this group of about 100 people, this woman came up to me afterwards with tears streaming down her face. And she said, all my life I've heard that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But today I realize that Jesus died for me. Aha! That's a big aha moment, see? She heard it, and, and she was probably 60 years old. And yet, for the first time, she understood that Jesus died for her. And she put her trust in him that day. And you know, that's, that happens, I think, in, this, in our culture here. People have heard just enough gospel to almost be immunized to it. And they, they hear, yeah, I've heard about Jesus, I know he died on the cross, but they have no concept, first of all, that they personally are sinners, and secondly, that Jesus died for them individually. And that if they had been the only sinner in the whole world, he still would have died for them. And because of that, they have not yet put their trust in Jesus. Statisticians tell us that right here in the greater Chattanooga area, 49% of the people, 49% don't ever go to church anywhere. Now, don't tell me there's nobody to reach. Every other person you meet needs Jesus. That's what it tells me. At least every other person you meet needs Jesus. Yes, there are more Christians around here <clears throat> than probably anywhere else in the United States, but there's still a lot of people who need Jesus. So, my challenge is to you is to think about how God wants to use you to fulfill this great commission right here. I believe that God wants each of us to witness, to baptize, to teach, to make disciples, sharing everything that we've learned. Now, I realize that I can just hear the wheels turning in some of your heads. You think, I'm not ready for this. I'm just not ready for this. I, I need to learn more myself. I don't feel like I'm ready to make disciples. Maybe I need seminary or at least Bible school. Couldn't I have at least a, a couple more years of sermons or Sunday school or something? Then maybe I would be ready. Well, really? About three weeks ago, I was in Moldova, and I was preaching in a brand new church started by one of my disciples, and I was able to win a lady to Christ after the service. And I, I just, it was one of those great things. It was the first time she had ever been in a Protestant church. It was the first time she ever really understood the gospel. And we talked for a good 30 minutes after the service, and I answered a lot of questions, and she finally was ready, and she prayed with me. And afterwards, the change in her was so apparent. She was so happy and so filled with joy. And so we arranged for her to be discipled by somebody who's there all the time. But the interesting thing, I got an email 
the next Monday, and the pastor said, I want you to know something. That lady that you led to Christ last Sunday showed up in church this morning with four of her friends who didn't know Jesus and who wanted to know what had happened to her, why she was so different. <laughs> God can use a baby Christian to start this process. You don't have to have a lot of knowledge. You don't, this lady didn't know anything but that she had Jesus and that he had changed her life. And she shared that throughout the week and had four friends who wanted to hear more about it. If a baby Christian could do that, you know enough that you could do it too, wherever you are. You could begin. You don't have to be able to tell everything. You just have to be able to share what you know. Jesus' disciples were not ready. If you look at the context in Matthew 28, and also look at the other gospel accounts of the attitudes of people and, and kind of see what they were like, you find that Jesus had just risen from the dead. You had some, like Thomas, who even doubted that Jesus had really been raised. Even when all of his friends, all the other disciples, that left ten others who were there, and they said, look, Jesus came, he was in our midst, we touched him, he's alive, and he said, I won't believe until I can stick my finger in the nail print, put my hand in the, in the wound in his side. Who, you trying to pull a fast one on me? That was his attitude. There were others who were afraid. They were afraid. Jesus has risen, and their response is fear. And the angel, you find each of the accounts, the angel has to say, don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Why did he, the angel say, don't be afraid? Because they were afraid. Jesus had made several appearances by the time he gave this commission, but people were still afraid. They weren't even fully understanding of what did Jesus' resurrection really mean. So I'm telling you that the temptation to use our lack of preparation as an excuse to take a pass on getting involved in the Great Commission is great. I understand that. You may be fearful. You may be afraid of what it would mean for you to talk to people about Jesus. But I have to keep asking, why are we still here? Why has Jesus not taken us to heaven yet? He has a purpose for us here. One thing that stands out in all of Jesus' ministry is his willingness to send his disciples out before they felt anything like fully prepared. Make no mistake about this. Even if we do not feel prepared, Jesus still calls us to make disciples. And he's commissioned us to make disciples, just like he challenged those 500 in Galilee. And I don't see anywhere where Jesus says, now, if you feel ready, then you should do this. He just says, you need to do this. This is something that you need to do. And he's counting on us to do it, and that's why we're still here. The task is not as daunting as it may seem. How did Jesus make his disciples? Did he put them through three years of seminary? Not really. He said, come and be with me. Come and be with me. And what did these disciples do? They came and lived alongside Jesus. They asked questions. They got things wrong. They asked more questions. They still got things wrong. 
They asked questions again, and this all took place as they simply carried on their daily lives, eating together, spending time together, and a little bit here and a little bit there, learning about who Jesus is and what he's doing. So to be sure, the process of making disciples ultimately leads to baptizing new believers and teaching them everything that Jesus taught us. But that's not where it begins. It begins like Jesus calling his disciples. It begins in your going or having gone. It begins where you are in your daily living. So the way you begin this process is in your relationships with other people the people you work with, the people you rub shoulders with, taking meals together, meeting with people, just talking about Jesus, talking about spiritual things. In our daily living, this is where we begin to draw people to Jesus, and this is where they begin to see who Jesus is and what he's really done. Remember once again that Jesus ended this commission with a promise Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And this reminds us that we're never alone as we take up the task of fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus is always with us in the person of his Holy Spirit. And if we render, surrender control of our lives to God, guess what's going to happen? Because the Spirit indwells us, he will control us, he will lead us, he will guide us, And he will give us the boldness that we need to overcome our fear and speak up and let the people around us know about Jesus. He will empower us so we can tell others what Jesus has done for us. And we can count on his presence and his power. We will find ourselves working alongside Christ, joining him in this great task of fulfilling the Great Commission. If anybody can do this, it, it has to be Christ, okay? If, if you want, I wish you knew me better, because if you knew me from uh, when I was a young man, you would know that I am an introvert, not an extrovert. Because I'm preaching up here, you may think, oh, he's just a natural extrovert, and he likes to talk to people. Oh, no, I'm scared to death of people. Some of you are frightening. That's a joke, okay? As I've gone to other countries and as I've gone to people in America, I don't ever go just because I'm an extrovert. I go because the Spirit of God gives me a little kick in the pants and says, this is somebody I want you to talk to. This is something I want you to do. And you can do it in my strength. Many times as I've felt the Spirit of God leading me to talk to people about Jesus, I've had no idea what to say. But as I say, Lord, I need a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. I surrender to you. If if you want me to do this, you're going to have to tell me what to say. And I open my mouth and the words come out because the Spirit of God is there to empower us to witness. And he does it. And it's not whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, that has nothing to do with it. God uses all kinds of people. You can be the most shy person in the world, and God can still use you. Uh, Back years ago, I went to an evangelism explosion training 
And uh, I was talking with the pastor of the church that was sponsoring this, and, and I asked this pastor, I said, who is your best evangelist? And he said, you're not going to believe it. It's this young man who's sitting at the table with you. And I, my first thought was, you've got to be kidding. In the first place, he hasn't said much, and every time he opens his mouth to talk, he stutters. <laughs> I said, are you just pulling my leg? You know, is this a, some sort of cruel joke or something? He said, oh no, this man has led over 300 people to Jesus. <laughs> I said, how? He says, guess what? The only time this man never stutters is when he's talking about Jesus. When he starts talking about Jesus, God's power takes control and he never stutters at all. But in his regular work and everything else he does, he stutters constantly. That really humbled me because I realized God can use anybody, no matter what your difficulties are, how impossible, impossible or improbable you think it is that God could use you, God can still use you if you will simply surrender to his control and be willing to be used. And guess what? There's something else that's going to happen. If you'll take this challenge and begin to help fulfill the Great Commission, you're going to get another blessing. As we begin to draw others to Christ, we will discover that we're not only making disciples, but we are also being transformed into disciples who are more like Jesus than ever before. There's something that takes place as you begin to talk to other people about Jesus, your own relationship with Jesus goes deeper and stronger. And you get that blessing just because you're willing to be used by God. So this morning, I challenge you to remember why you are still here, why we all are still here. And I want to give you a chance to, response, to respond to Christ's commission. And it seems to me, as I was praying about this, that the best place to begin would be to give you an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God, to take a few moments and confess your sins, and to surrender to the control of the Spirit of God, and just let God, commit yourself to letting God use you throughout the rest of the day. I'll warn you, you need to do this every day. I start every day this way. Taking a few moments to confess my sins, to ask God for a fresh filling of His Spirit, and then to recommit myself for God to use however He wants to use me throughout the day. So, could we do this right now? I'll lead us in kind of a sample prayer, but you pray your own prayer and you ask God to show you any sins you need to confess so if you're willing, let's do this right now. Heavenly Father, I'm here with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to prepare ourselves to be used in this great task, this great purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. And so this morning, I come to you confessing my sins. And Lord, I've already done this this morning, but I, I come once again asking that you would show me, that you would search my heart and show me any unconfessed sin that I need to confess right now. 
so that I know that I am right with you and that my sins are completely confessed and forgiven. Thank you for that promise you gave us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, as your people confess their sins, listen to them, Lord. Forgive them and cleanse them. And Heavenly Father, this morning I ask you for a fresh filling of your Spirit. I surrender control of my thoughts, my words, and my deeds to you. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit you would control me in such a way that I could be able to help, to be a tool, not help, but to be a tool that you will use and reaching others for Jesus. I pray that fresh feeling right now for these brothers and sisters who are also asking you, Lord. I pray that you would grant this request. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray, dear Lord, that you would make us new creations. You promised to do that. You already did that in our standing in Christ, but make us new people as we begin to walk daily in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would use these dear people to reach Ringgold and make disciples in Ringgold starting today. And we give you praise and glory for all you're going to do through us and in us because you are God, our God. And you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy that we would give our lives completely to your control. In Jesus' name, amen.